You are listening to PD in Pajamas, the only podcast where you can get professional development credit in your underwear. Our mission is to provide teachers with quality professional development on the go. Learn from real teachers and experts on topics that you care about. Listen anytime, anywhere. Enjoy season one, classroom management. Dane, do you want to give me a little background about yourself and uh, a little bit about uh, who you are and stuff? Yeah, I'd love to. So just a little bit about me. Um, I'm getting into my ninth year of teaching, um, and I've been coaching for 13 years now. All been pretty consistent in the same place. Um, I've been 11 years coaching at Capitol High School, and that's where I teach. And then before that, I did a couple years doing junior high sports, coaching everything. Um, I got my undergraduate from Boise State, and I'm kind of an interested uh, story because... I got a kinesiology PE um, degree and knew that PE jobs were kind of tough to get. So I doubled down and also got history, which I was fortunate enough to get a history job right out of high school um, at Capital High School. And then just a couple years ago, you and I finished our master's program in education leadership at University of Idaho, which was a good experience and so um come from a family of teachers may not know my parents are teachers but um love what we do i absolutely love i need to uh, work and be with kids and and be around that atmosphere so that's a little bit about me so you went to boise um, state is that background right you went to boise state yeah boise state yep and um when you were there do you remember um, learning about classroom management or how or strategies or was it mixed into your courses? What do you remember from your going to school? You know, um, it was interesting because I, I felt like at least when I was there, I know it's been a while for me. Um, my education classes were pretty good. I remember uh, specifically uh, Phil Kelly was a guy I remember. And um, uh, there was another professor that just kind of kind of understood the ins and outs of education. And so for me, I felt like I absorbed a ton from those classes. And then being with my PE background, I learned a lot about classroom behavior because in PE, it's such a vital part of teaching. And so I feel like a lot of the skills I've learned today and utilized actually came because I had to, you know, corral 40 kids and and get them quiet. And and so I learned a lot that way. So I think I'm fortunate to have that experience um, in that PE department. But I I felt for the most part, I did learn, never truly understood it, though, until I, I got in a classroom, though. So so you get there your first day in your classroom. Like, how did it go? Was it smooth? Do you feel like they you were able to manage them or did they take over the class, which was more so my experience? But right. how, how did you, how did, how did that first day go? You know, it was, um, it was overwhelming. Um, I really felt 
things that were important to me um, assigned seating um, because that structure has to be there. And I didn't do that. So went in the first week. I wanted to be the young, cool teacher. So what did I do? I'll sit wherever, sit with your friends. And, and it, that just ate me up. That ate me up. And then, you know, and then the start and stop. I, I noticed a lot in my first year, first week. I just didn't know how to bring them back together that I was getting the most out of the 50 minutes that I had in my class. Were you, were you able to, so I'm guessing, which I've seen before, but you were the cool teacher and which we all kind of do when we start and didn't have a seating chart. And then the classes started to get out of hand. Did you ever get back that first year? Were you able to get control or at some point where you're like, well, next year will be better or Boise school district has a unique program. And I don't know what it was like for you, Justin, but we had a mentor that would come in once a month. I was a district paid professional and working with him was able to help me over time realize that, hey, there is a genuine problem that shouldn't be happening in your classroom, and here's what we can do to fix it. So that was really nice to have an outside eye because, I mean, nothing against the administration, but it was first-year teaching, and they never came in. And so here you are by yourself, and I was in a portable, and my mentor teacher never came by and saw me, and so it was nice to get some feedback. So to answer your question, I did make changes, especially as we went into second semester, that I think became more positive. So your mentor comes in after a month and been like, uh, hey, uh, Mr. Pence, you really need to add a seating chart. And you're like, oh, okay, okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember seeing that on the – I remember, right. you know, that kind of thing. So that's really lucky. I know a lot of districts, you know, um, I've been in there where they do um, bring in outside people from the district to come mentor your – your new teachers. And I think that's really important. It's funny how much when I talk to, when I've talked to a bunch of teachers on this, how they say, well, what's one of the things that's really, you know, caused a disruption in your classroom and seating charts have come up probably four times now. Yeah. And I'm like, man, is it just that simple? Is that such a mistake that we make consistently? Now we don't have a seating chart that, that it keeps, it keeps being a reoccurring theme here. And so, so right. what, so when you did put a seating chart, like how were things different? Right. Well, what I see now is I've had the same seating chart and I use kind of um, where the students are looking at each other. And then I have a big row in the middle of the class. And so they can we utilize both boards looking left to right. And it's nice now, Justin, is I know specific spots where I stand and teach. And so I know where to put students that just, you know, because where the distraction comes in is, all right, hey, Justin, you got to stop. You got to knock it off. And that's going to be more distracting than anything. So I can put them in a spot where I can just tap their desks a couple times. And, and I'm right there because of anything I've learned with the seating chart is teacher proximity. If you're there and you're by them, it's amazing how a lot of these issues will go away just having your presence there. And again, that's something I learned as a, in, in the PE department is, is being next to them. You don't have to say anything, but just your proximity to the student eliminates a lot of the stress in that classroom. I, I know a lot of the teachers do uh, the proximity, but it kind of sounds like you're out and moving in the classroom. Mm-hmm. You're, you're all mm-hmm. around. 
uh, and it kind of brings me to, um, do you ever hear like bell to bell teaching? Like you are planning every minute of this period and you're not having downtime. So if you're moving and doing things, I'm assuming that maybe you're planning for that and that's, that's playing a difference. Absolutely. If I can tell any young teacher, the moment you start the class is the most important thing you can do. So my students know, and it's not the consistent every day, but every day when they walk in, the minute the bell rings, we are doing something. So, um, you know, Tuesdays and Thursday would be what, you know, a teacher would call a bell ringer activity. And it's wasted no time because that's where those kids will eat it up and trying to get their attention. And if you're ready and you're planned, it's amazing what will happen to your classroom. Now I am a little lenient because I do start right away when the bell rings. So yeah, I do give them three to four minutes to pack up before the bell, but I notice I utilize my time. And then the students like that too, knowing that they can pack their bags and, and, and be ready for their, their movement to their next class. Hmm. So, so have you throughout your years of teaching, have you had a, class that you okay shoot i didn't have enough stuff prepared i got 20 minutes extra and how is that um how is that related to classroom behavior yeah um kids ate me up the first year second year because they they'll they'll read into especially at the high school level they'll read into uh, this is a filler activity or what's the purpose behind this Mm -hmm. so um i think some stuff that can happen for that is your pace um, sometimes it's okay to um, extend a, a classroom discussion. It's okay to go just a couple minutes and, and answer a couple more questions. Um, but I understand that. I mean, especially, uh, I mean, I teach U.S. history. And in a class like that, I have kids that are advanced beyond what they should be. They should be in an AP course. And I have kids that are very... Um, you know, low learning, a lot of English second language learners. And it's okay that they get done at different times. You you have to be okay, but understand that you have to maintain the level of quietness or the level of, of study um, for that entire period. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, totally. Um, do you feel like teachers could should prepare the full amount of the period or should you have extra things prepared do you always have okay well i have all this ready but i got um two things of my next lesson done in case this goes faster than i expected especially if it's something you haven't taught before right how do you prepare the the lesson right um i'll always have a couple i mean especially now and i've taught the same thing for the last nine years i've kind of know okay, this is where we could head, we could do this. And that's just putting hay in the barn and knowing what's in the barn and knowing what's there. Um, When you ask the question about new lessons, yeah, it just, I don't know. Uh, In Boise, we teach not block. So I see the same kids every day, five days a week. And so for me as a teacher, I can't get going too far in advance in one class than the other just because i don't know i just can't balance it that way of where you where were you guys at the day before and so there's kind of a benchmark i gotta hit um so yeah so when i'm lesson planning and it's a new lesson 
I am always going to build before I feel good about finishing that lesson, Justin, I'm always going to have something. Okay. If this happens, I could do this. Or if this happens, I could do this. And what I find with new lessons is, um, be understanding that it can change throughout the day. Uh, okay. I asked this question, but maybe I should ask that question or, uh, maybe it's uh, something they did with their partners or something we can do differently. And so it's going to evolve. It's going to evolve throughout the day and, and that's okay. But, um, I would definitely, uh, back to your question of like time management. Yeah. The kids will read into it. If it's just filler, if it's just, okay, do this, like have some purpose behind that next activity. So uh, another thing I know that you have uh, student teachers and things like that. You've, you've been that mentor. When you see a new student teacher um, taking over the class, what are some of the pitfalls they that happen with the new teachers when they first take over? Yeah. And maybe they don't realize that, that you have to have that right. discussion with. Good. I, yeah, I've had two um, te- student teachers over the last three years. So kind of an, an interesting dynamic. The biggest mistake you can make. Now, don't get me wrong. You can be their friend and that's where you are. But there has to be a fine line of being a friend and being their teacher. Um, so the biggest mistake I see young teachers make is that balance. I had a student teacher once where uh, they would go around the room and obviously there's kids that you attract to that you want to, okay, hey, they're funny or, hey, we got a lot of things in similar. similar. And as a young teacher, you kind of gravitate towards those people. But it was amazing to watch as that student teacher favored those students Okay. In Boise, we have class sizes of 30 kids. And if you're favoring two kids every single time, there's 28 other kids that realize, hey, this teacher really likes those kids and doesn't care about me. Mm. I really push Mm. my student teachers like, okay, yeah, that kid's a little quirky or he's a little smelly or you cannot at any means show any favoritism to the kids. And that's hard. It is really hard as a young teacher. But student A to student D to student Z need to know that you love them just the same. And I feel like I take a lot of pride in that, Justin, that my students know I really care about them. And so I do go and ask questions and get to know them. And it's easy to talk, especially as a football coach or a golf coach, that just talk to my athletes. But those kids will read into it and then you'll lose them. And so then you'll get things like bad classroom behavior because, oh, this teacher only cares about that student. So they don't really care about me. Yeah, I, I, I could imagine that some of those student teachers are feeling, OK, I'm going to try to gain some of this rapport with the students mm-hmm. I connect with easily to make me feel more comfortable in a really right. awkward moment when you're taking over a class. Right. So the, does that discussion go well? Are they pretty receptive to it? The yeah. Um, you know, I, what I try to do as kind of a mentor teacher, I just kind of want them to pay attention to it. So uh, like we'll film their lesson and I and I'll and I'll walk, tell them, I said, watch, watch your reaction to this student and you're excited and you get really excited. And then the next student says something and you, you give them like, OK, nice thought, but don't give them any feedback. And mm-hmm. again, I know they're kids, but kids read into that stuff so much. So be genuinely happy for all of your students. So you um, you film them? Yeah, we've yeah. So especially U of I, um, I had to do a couple different lessons. We're not filming every lesson. Yeah, um, but you know, for some of their uh, 
their big lessons that they had to prepare. I had, we had to film them. So, and then that's where it's nice to break it down. And then I'll just give them that constant feedback. It's hard. Uh, I'll be honest with you. It's hard as a new teacher. You think you're doing things right. And you just kind of got to be understanding that you're learning. And so sometimes I don't know if the feedback was taken good or yeah. if I said the right thing, but you know, for the most part, I had really good student teachers. So I, I did look up on that. Well, I think the filming is a great, seems like a really great tool and super accessible now with all the technology yeah, oh yeah. Uh, that yeah. was maybe when we started. But I am also a little grateful there's no recording of me teaching my first few years. <laughs> Not going to lie. Uh, yeah, so yeah. new teachers, props to you. I think you'll be better for it. You're going to be the better uh, generation. But I'm glad there's no recording. Right. I, I agree. I just wanted one thing I wanted to add is that I wanted I want to say my third year in, I wanted to be the cool teacher. I wanted to be the one that everyone liked. And I tried so hard and I could never really get there. Maybe it's because I taught band. I don't know. Uh, I was teaching <laughs> leadership too. And we were doing a leadership retreat and I'm like, well, that's great. I'm going to be, I'm going to connect with these kids. It's going to be awesome. We're going to, we're going to do some team building. And then one of the kids got sick and no longer wanted to be with all the cool kids, but wanted to be, you know, me to hang out and, and, um, you know, make sure she was okay. And I learned driving home from that retreat that I would rather be the safe teacher or mm-hmm. the, the the teacher where students felt comfortable going when there was a problem than the cool teacher all the time. And so right. uh, sometimes uh, being respected and appreciated is better than being the cool teacher. Yeah. If I could add to that too, yeah. I think Justin with you about, about that third year is kind of where you start feeling comfortable. I think I love the word you said safe. I think for me, especially because we wanted to get in the field, there was teachers that influenced us or coaches that influenced us to be a certain way. I think by the time I finally realized that I'm not that teacher, but I am my own person. Once I got comfortable with my own skin that, Hey, this is the way I am. People know that this is what they're going to expect in my classroom. I was a better teacher because I was myself. And if I can give any advice to young teachers, just be you. It is your classroom. You will spend more time in those nine months there than anywhere else. So make it your home, make it your classroom and do what you feel that's right. Like you don't have to be cool. You don't have to be, you know, doing all these things, make it safe, make it comfortable for you. Well, I think back now, um, my wife went to Mountain View and she spoke of the cool teachers there. And sometimes if you just stopped by Dutch Bros and brought some coffee to the cool teacher, you I could get out of class or get out of assignments. And and I really hope that doesn't happen still. But I, I do think that there is some peril uh, in being the coolest teacher on at school because it's usually cool for the wrong reasons. Um, right. And that could still happen. So you want to be cautious of that. So you've taught the same classroom for so many years. Have you seen the the behaviors change? Student is it are they are there different behaviors that are happening that are more consistent that you can plan for, or or are they staying basically the same? Yeah, you know, there's always going to be drama in high school. Um, I think only as cell phones advance. Um, you know, when I started, it was what Facebook and Instagram, and then it went to Snapchat and now it's gone to TikTok. And so it's just a whole different experience. And so again, I think back to what we talked about earlier, 
just set your set your standards early and follow those and then the kids will adapt to you so uh, my biggest problem is obviously cell phones and then um gosh so really what's your cell phone ahead, po- what's your cell phone policy then if that's your biggest you know, problem uh, what's it what, yeah how does that, the does that protect you it, the district has a pretty strict policy that they're not supposed to be out only unless the teachers approved it mm-hmm. or it's used for an educational purpose. Now, with that said, they give the teachers um, their own kind of classroom policy on it. So uh, for me, um, I just, uh, it's, you know, we're going to a one-to-one technology everyone's going to have their own laptops so there's really not a whole lot of purpose so i am fine kids especially girls today they just don't have really a place to put them so i'm fine if they put them on their desk but justin i'm pretty strict about the cell phones and that there's kind of a time and place for it and i just think as a teacher as a professional and them as a student i just don't think there's a the right education is just not the right place to have it, especially now that we do have those computers. Now, last year and the last couple of years, we didn't have the computers. And so, yeah, I did have to utilize those um, phones a little bit more because the, the kids are really good on it. Yeah, I agree with you. I probably, I probably made a dramatic change. I was like, yeah, let's put the technology at their fingertips. They can access yeah. everything. Let's get it. Let's get them in the classroom. Let's integrate it. But as I've seen it in actual use, I've just been uh, horrified by it. And I think it's so destructive to kids. In fact, when we were developing a cell phone policy at my last school, we looked at McDonald's cell phone policy and they would get fired if they were on their cell phone. So I'm like, if, if, if you can't work at McDonald's, you should have the same standard as your classroom. And so it's just, and they do need to have Chromebooks and word and Excel. These are some really important technology in the high school, Photoshop, illustrator, these high techs. We need these software programs taught in schools, but the temptation to be on your phone and Google something for class or to double click over to TikTok or or Snapchat or something is just too much for an underdeveloped brain. It's probably mm-hmm. too much for fully developed brains, too, if we're being honest. But, yeah. yeah. So I've changed a lot of what I, I think of that. And it is just more prevalent in in a high school setting and middle school. It's just all over. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I had another thought here when it came to behavior. One thing, as we kind of – I know we touched about this already, but owning your classroom um, – I really follow the policy that I'm going to be a little bit tougher at first. I'm going to be really, really strict because what those kids are going to understand is like, okay, hey, here's Mr. Pence. This is his policy on cell phones. We don't do cell phones in his classroom. All right, here's Mr. Pence. He's going to want you to sit in the seating chart and he's going to put you with different people, work in different groups. That's the expectation. If I am easy on them at first and then try to come and be really tough and mean those kids do not respond to it so that first day that first week of school set your standards this is how we do it and those kids know and you know follow those if they have their cell phones out you take them you take a couple cell phones and you know whatever your school policy is or your classroom policy those kids know right away and then justin i don't know if you've seen this but then you kind of lighten up and okay hey oh yeah mr pence 
you know, okay, this is his standard, but we can be his, their, we can be his friend as well. It's not going to go the other way. If, if you try to be, oh, yeah, you know, I'm this hit new teacher and cell phones are cool or, hey, sit wherever, or whatever it is, and then all of a sudden you snap and you lose it, those kids are like, whoa, what happened to Mr. White? Why is he all of a sudden lost his stuff? So be firm at the beginning, okay? Set, set a, a precedent of this is how it's going to work in the classroom. It's way easier to loose it up for moments yep. uh, than it is to come back from, from being um, really relaxed. Uh, yeah. So I, I agree with that. It's hard to do and it's hard to balance because that first time you relax a little bit and they, the class is, you lose a class, you know, that's a real discussion of, Oh, you know, I'd like to be more, I'd like to be able to joke around with you a little bit, but I can't in this situation. And right. I, I have, uh, I don't know if you do this, but I, don't know if it's perfected because I've I've been out of the classroom for a little bit, but I was big on the big long discussions, or you could say rants, of from the teacher about behavior and things like that. So I would just go off for a while, and they they hear it. You kind of drone on, but they they tend to really hear that discussion, and they don't want to have another one of those, and so right. they they tend to be affected. But do you ever do like the discussion, or? How do you yeah. sit down and, and, and gain back the class when it's been a little disruptive? Yeah, I think uh, back in my teaching career, I, I think those those life lessons that you teach them and the importance of whatever the problem might be, those are some of the most raw moments you can have with them uh, where they know you're more you're real to them, that you, you do recognize, hey, I see you, I know what's going on and I'm, I'm here to help you. And so I'm with you, Jess. And I think that's been some of the best times now. Yeah. It can get numb if it happens every day and because it's clearly not registering with them. But if you have those teachable moments to teach them those life skills, those life lessons, um, we're, we're lucky as teachers to be in that position to do it. So and take advantage of that. Absolutely. Well, that ability to bring the class back is so much, um, more about relationships than it is technique. And so you look look for techniques that can be effective and good tools, but if you know all those kids and you talk to them, like you said, every single one in your classroom and they feel like they're important, you can bring them all back. But if they're if they don't feel that way, then no technique that, that can be discussed in something like this is going to be effective, but it is about that relationship. So... Yep. Yep. Speaking of techniques, I always think that uh, I want to try to help teachers find something they can use today in their classroom. Like what is their top tech? What is their top classroom management technique that they could try out today if they're listening in the school year or or when school starts back up? But what what would you say is your number one classroom management technique that has helped you in your career? Number one. And again, it goes back to our, our start here today is the seating charts, who they're sitting by and your ability to get your proximity. That is my absolutely number one going to change your life as an educator in classroom behavior. If you can put those kids, especially maybe some of your behavior kids or kids that struggle you put them next to a good partner or a group of people. So you really think about your seating chart. It's amazing how they'll just rise. I mean, I can name multiple students that, oh, they struggled and they struggled and, you know, you put them by somebody or, you know, you're checking on them a lot. It is amazing, Justin, how they will change for you 
and then they get a little bit of success. They do well. They're maybe sitting in the front or wherever it might be. They just get that little bit of success and everything just changes for them. So if I can give any advice, just really think about that. Yeah. Do you, do you change it often? The seating charts? I change change once a quarter. So they're going to have, and then like, yeah. So once a quarter, um, is usually my plan. So four times a year. Okay. Um, one more thing I, I did want to add one more thing. Cause I know you've been coaching much of your career too. Have you found any coaching techniques, uh, that uh, translate well into the classroom? We always talk about as coaches, it's amazing when your team or your class, when they'll run through a brick wall for you, because that's how much love they have for you. So I think before you just get up there and start lecturing and, and start, well, this is what the district's paying me to do. I got to teach this. Establish those relationships because once my athletes know, hey, Coach Pence, is he's going to give it everything he has and I'm going to give it everything to him. It's because we've established those relationships. It's, it's because today in Boise, it was dumping rain and we're out there and we're doing football workouts, you know. Those are the things. So I would really suggest those first couple of days, as much as you can, find ways to connect and communicate with those kids. Learn their names. And, and, and it's amazing what they'll do for you, knowing that you've done that for them. You know, I, I think um, it's, I, by the first week of school, I have every kid's name memorized and known and, and to, to call them by their name. That's huge. And that's just establishing that relationship. And then um, kind of like we talked about in coaching, you kind of have that moment, you have that opportunity um, to, to teach. And so for us, it's not usually they're huddled up and, you know, you've had a long practice. And so you just have those last couple minutes to just, just to teach. And so don't forget that. Don't forget that you are the teacher and you have that ability to, to change your minds. And you talked about it, kind of those life lessons, um, that those kids value that's important to them. And in athletics, it's easy to define, um, what success is, right? You won the game. Right. In the classroom, it's a little more difficult to define success. Do you, how do you help kids figure out what, what success means to them? Yeah. Um, you know, as a school, we've really focused on goal setting. And so following up on their goals, uh, that was a school-wide initiative for us is to have good goal setting. And so to follow up on them. One of my favorite activities, great thing for you to do as a teacher, is they write a letter to themselves. Uh, on the first week of school and just kind of what they want and their, their dreams and their ambitions for that next year. And then on the last day of school, I save those letters and I give them back to them. Mm-hmm. And, and some of the kids really, really value that. They're like, Oh, I totally forgot. I wrote this. And, and it's amazing for them to have that time with you to reflect on, Oh my gosh, like I have changed a lot this year. And so that's, that's, what's really really cool and then um at least some of the feedback i get um just sometimes when it comes to especially my class you know core standard class um just to get rid of the persona that it's a science class or it's a history class or it's an english class that it goes back to that safe environment so for me am i establishing that am i making this a classroom that it's fun for the kids to be there they feel safe to be there 
and they see it. They, I get it every year. Mr. Pence, this history class was, it was not like other classes before because I believed in myself. And, and they see it. And, and we have all our strategies pre and post test. Yeah, one of the biggest ways is just their their feelings towards my my subject, and so they I hear that multiple times at the end. My my views on history are completely different. I didn't know that history connected so much to my world. So that's one of the biggest ways I, I see success with my students. And and the kids are young. You may think even teaching in high school, oh, they've already decided what subjects they like and they don't like or something, but often and. And more consistently, we see kids that are like, oh, I really liked science because of this teacher or I really learned a lot from this history class and it made a difference. I didn't know that I liked that before or something like that. Right, right. Exactly. All right, Ms. Prince, thank you so much for uh, coming on and sharing all your thoughts on education. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, man. See ya. If you want to take this class for credit, go to pdlearn.nnu.edu and click CPD online, then select PD in pajamas to enroll in the course.